All right. Well, welcome to another Cyber Readaville podcast. Uh, so glad you could join us for another session. I'm sitting here in, uh, well, warm uh, Florida, but it's not sunny today. In fact, it's raining outside. We have, uh, I guess, weather being pushed ahead of remnant Hurricane Agatha, which I think is supposed to become Alex if it actually reforms into a tropical depression. Um, and it's pushing some weather our way. So the whole of the south of the state should have uh, this kind of weather and worse as the weekend goes by. Uh, and speaking of Cyberitaville or, or Margaritaville, I'm heading back to the Bahamas on, uh, on Sunday. I was in fact hoping to fly there myself, but with that uh, you know tropical storm or whatever coming, unfortunately, I got to take a commercial flight. Um, and it won't be very nice weather in the Bahamas. It'd be nice to be pleasant there, but it won't be quite as nice as our last uh, trip out there. So we, uh, on this podcast, we dive into all things cybersecurity and probably then some, we go a little bit beyond that, but this is something that affects, you know, everything that we do. It affects our lives. Uh, our work is probably where we see the most of it, or, or, or maybe are exposed to some of the, the, let's say the mechanics and the process and policy type stuff, technology, but it affects pretty much everything, right? Friends and family. And, and obviously we see a lot of it in the media. Um, one of the issues, I guess, that comes up and, and really the topic of today is uh, insurance, cyber insurance specifically. I have the pleasure today of being joined by Anson Thompson of the Thompson Group. Anson's been doing insurance for definitely a long time and, and for probably going on 10 plus years, cyber insurance, something like that. Yeah, we, we were an early adopter, Stig, of that. My background, my graduate degree was in information and communication sciences. So it, it lent itself very, very well to that. So when that started becoming a, a coverage form that, that we you know, could offer, uh, I jumped in pretty quick. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm going to let you do a quick uh, intro here in a second. So, but just wanted to kind of set the stage there. So again, we'll talk about cyber insurance. Um, some of the issues that I think we will get in today is just kind of, you know, conceptually, what is it, that kind of stuff. And then also, you know, how is it changing? It's a very rapidly evolving uh, both service, but also the marketplace itself. And those are some of the pieces that I want to get into. Many of the clients that we work with don't quite understand it. They don't quite understand how it changes. And I think that's really uh, interesting as well. So maybe some good conversation today. Then I also want to say I've had the pleasure of watching Anson kind of talk about how he approaches insurance uh, when working with companies. And this is one of the reasons why I appreciate having Anson on today. So he takes a very holistic uh, view when working with an organization and really tries to look at uh, that organization's need across, you know, whatever their business is, uh, and really not just sort of go in with a preconceived idea of, hey, I'm going to sell, you know, this thing. He's really there to uh, understand your business, uh, what you currently have in place today, what you really need, and so on and so forth. So I, I feel like he's the right guy to have this conversation with. There are probably other people in my network I could reach out to and talk about cyber insurance, but I think you bring that piece to the conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, let you do a quick intro and kind of talk about yourself and, and introduce yourself, Anson, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Yeah, thank you, Stig. Uh, so I always describe myself as a grandfather with three grandkids, a father with three children, uh, I'm a lover. I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm a writer. I've got a few books out there on Amazon. Uh, I'm a teacher and I own a small business. Uh, small business happens to be a commercial insurance agency spanning basically 48 states now. Uh, and we saw online. So workers' compensation, general liability, cyber insurance, obviously, is a, is a big, uh, big deal for us. Uh, I live in two places. I have a, a mountaintop home in Conifer, Colorado. Uh, I spend about eight months a year there. And then today I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. So my parents are still here, uh, kids, grandbabies. So we come back about once a quarter, spend 30 days just hanging out. And then the majority of my business is actually still in the Midwest, but we're growing dramatically in, in Colorado. So uh, a, a really cool, unique existence. I get the best of both worlds and uh, I'm very happy to be here. So thank you. 
Oh, thank you, Anson. I, I have to say, uh, for all the guys out there, just listen to what Anson said. He did not lead with, oh, my business is this and my ego is bigger than your ass or anything like that. He sort of launched right into the, the, the things that he really cares about. And this, this was my, my very first impression with Anson. So Anson and I know each other from uh, something called the Alternative Board. We are both members of uh, boards, uh, part of the Alternative Board. And I used to be on the same board as Anson. And this is how he started. And I immediately took note and I thought, like, this is a guy who really knows the order and priority of his values or what's important to him. And, and the fact that, you know, his his family and everything are really at the top of the list, followed by kind of those more material things is, is pretty cool. So I appreciate uh, you, Anson. You, you've definitely been, uh, you know, you've influenced me, uh, give me a lot of things to think about uh, that, you know, I, I took out of our initial meetings and board meetings and so on and so forth. It's been fantastic. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, Anson's training uh, and teaching, and, and you'll correct me if I'm a little bit off base here. And he calls, of, calls himself the Sherpa. So really someone who guides, you know, people. And I think that's, that's so much part of who you are, Anson. So again, thank you very much. All right. To set us up, uh, why don't we start, why don't we launch into, you know, what is cyber insurance? And then as you kind of lay that out, Anson, I'll jump in and sort of talk about it from, you know, from an information security or cybersecurity program as well at different points. But why don't you kind of give us a, a little bit of an overview of, of what it is? Yeah, so I, I always talk, when we talk cyber, I always talk little boy cyber and big boy cyber. So a lot of independent insurance agents, you know, and I always say all independent insurance agents look at cyber and a lot of carriers today have a, an endorsement, $250, $500, and they slap it on. And it's basically... $50,000, maybe $100,000 of if you get breached, then we're going to notify the people and, and pay for LifeLock. And it's a very, very limited coverage. And so that's little boy cyber. Big boy cyber is seven key coverages. Uh, and those seven key coverages include such things as social engineering, cyber hacking, extortion. I mean, the news items that we see and so that's the policy that we prefer that our clients, you know, take on. With that being said, so many people that own businesses have been told by their agent, yes, you have cyber. Well, kind of, you know, they, if it's a car, they have a car door, they don't have a car. And so what we do is we go in and educate many, many people all over the country about here's what you have, here's what you don't have. Um, and when we go to market, on cyber, there are many, many, many different options out there, and there's no standardized form. So, you know, let's say there's, let's say there's, you know, 30 cyber carriers out there. We'll go to all of them, but then I'll do a spreadsheet comparing company A versus company B versus company C, and there's some huge differences in terms of the coverage forms. And so if you're a business owner out there and you're buying cyber insurance, Please ask your agent what's their experience with it, and and again, is this little boy or big boy? And if they ask questions and shoot me a note, and I'll explain the difference. But that's it. I mean, there's little baby endorsements, and then there's full blown cyber policies. We offer the full blown cyber policies, and depending on cash flow and things like that, uh, many of our clients have purchased that many you know over the years. I think that it, that brings up uh, some interesting just things to talk about. So one, there aren't any standards, meaning, meaning that if I go to several different you know, brokers or, or agents, there's a good chance that what I actually get will be pretty different depending on who I go with, unless I'm asking questions, unless I'm looking for something specific. Is that fair? Very fair. And, and Stig, when, when a professional agency presents cyber, as I mentioned, the seven key coverages, they list the seven coverages, and then there's always a self-insured retention or what people call a deductible, $2,500, $5,000, whatever the case may be. But then the, there's sublimits, and there's, there's just there's a lot of different nuance when it comes to cyber insurance. You know, when you, when you buy general liability and, and auto insurance and property, it's pretty standardized. You yeah. know, what we yeah. sell is comparable. When you get into the area of cyber, directors and officers, professional – 
it's a whole new ball game with different forms and different endorsements. And it can really make the difference when you see a, a quote for, you know, 3,500 a year versus the 5,000. Well, the 5,000 might cover you for everything and the 3,500 might cover you for 60%. So in that case, it's better to spend the five grand. So I'm hearing, you know, the more you spend, the more you get, but is it as simple as that, that the more I spend, the better I'm covered? Or could I end up spending more and actually not really having the coverage that I need, even if it is more? Fair question. And, and the, the comparison tool that we use that lines every carrier up with the seven key coverages, um, that, that's, that's the tail, right? And, and so if, if you got the $3,500 policy, it could be, it could provide more coverages, but it's only when you take the time to align carrier A, B, C, D, E, and then you line them up, it's going to show you. So uh, not always spending the most, most is the best. What we try to do is say, okay, what's your budget? Okay. And, and, and say, okay, it's going to be between these two and let them know, hey, your budget's $3,500. You're not going to have extortion. Okay. So if you, if extortion, Extortion happens. That's that's not your claim. So we let. I always say that when we're selling, no matter what type of policy, it's a buffet. Yeah. And we have we have chicken, we have pork, we have beef, we have green beans, we have potatoes. If you don't like green beans, we're not going to give you green beans, but we're going to tell you get green beans. So one thing I'm hearing, which is kind of interesting, and I haven't really thought about it this way, and that is, if you aren't educated and you go into this conversation, and you're just kind of like, I need cyber, you know, cyber insurance you might get a really good policy. You might get something, you know, uh, not so good, or, or maybe that doesn't even meet, meet your needs. So what's important is one, have a, a number in mind, a budget, if you will. And then secondly, understand what risks you need coverage for. So, so this, I think this is really, this is really helpful. So, you know, two things I'm hearing out of this is, you know, come out of the gate with some number in mind, and, and know that that number might move anyway. So even if you have a budget, it might you might end up, once you actually get into the details, figuring out that, hey, we actually need to spend more. And I want to get into that piece here in a little bit. But the other thing is um, you kind of have to understand what it is, where it is that you need coverage. And we're going to pivot on that here in a second to, uh, to talking about like the, the cost of that coverage based on what you have done in your organization to protect yourself against exactly the things that you're being covered on. But before I do that, I want to go back to kind of the, the wild west of cyber insurance um, and sort of set it up a little bit and we'll just talk about that a little bit. This is a relatively new insurance market. That's why we're seeing kind of the, the constant changes uh, most recently, last probably three-ish years, something like that. We've seen premiums go up a lot. And what I tell my customers, I may or may not be right, but what I say is this is a very new market. And when cyber insurance came out, it was just about building a market. So they dole these things out, answer test 10 questions, you know, pay a relatively small amount and we'll cover you. What's happened kind of like we, we've seen even in, in uh, you know, the life insurance market where you know, they sold them you know, to the guy who had a bomb strapped on going on a plane you know, for, for 100 bucks you know, in the 70s. Now you need, you know, uh, a complete uh, health analysis, you know, uh, proctological exam, everything before they'll give you anything. And this is the direction that we're moving, I think, in the cyber insurance as well. We're going to where there's data now, there, uh, the insurance, uh, the underwriters have been paying out, maybe even lost on some of the, the, the grabbing of the market. And now they're saying, no, 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 we need you to pay more unless you have done something. I mean, tell me a little bit sort of just about the history and the, and the story of cyber insurance. Early on, it was maybe a three-page application. And, and even then, I was advising my clients, talk to your tech provider, your outsource, your, your managed, you know, IT people. Don't answer these questions because you don't know the answer. <laughs> you know, what kind of firewall? So, so I'm always like, this is a coverage that you have to work with your, your partners on. And it, it started out about three pages and then competition came in and we got down to a one page application, which was basically, uh, have you ever been breached? No. Okay. Here, here's the, here's the premium. And for about two or three years, it was very, very, very competitive. Right. So you've got all these people coming to the market, one page, two page applications, but then the claims started happening. 
And, you know, back in the day, we all remember the Sony, the Target, all these different huge hacks that we heard about. But what you didn't hear about was the small mom and pop business owner that, that somebody from, name it, North Korea, uh, Kazakhstan, Russia, what, or, or even the United States, they're locking their data down and saying, hey, for $400,000, we'll release your data. Yeah. And so today we've got claims data. And to your point, you're spot on. The, the cost of this coverage, depending on industry, is going up and up and up. I mean, I've been delivering renewals this year, 30 to 40 to 50% of what it was last year. And not to say that the client's paying that, what we end up doing is, hey, we had a $1,000 deductible last year. Let's go with a, a $2,500, $5,000, up to $10,000 deductible. So there are ways to reduce the expense. I think every business has more of a cyber exposure than most other insurances. So when I'm talking to my clients, they're like, well, yeah, cyber's an addition. No, cyber is one of the key coverages you need, depending on how big you are, mm -hmm. right? And depending on how automated you are and how much you're tied to the web and how much cloud you use versus server. There's a lot of you know, computations that go into it. But I, I think the main point I'd like to make is partnering with a company like yours that understands cyber and security and, and putting those pieces in place today that carriers take notice and go, oh, they're using the Stig's company. So yeah, it would have been five but now because of all the expertise they have in the monitoring, right? The double factor authorization, you know, all that stuff. Now we're going to get it at 3,500 or four. So the, the carriers are now rewarding those who are hiring excellent firms like yours to come in and say, Hey, let's take these, you know, initiatives. And then the employee training is probably the biggest deal. How, how much do your employees get trained and, are there any type of phishing exercises done by your managed service provider that's going out? And when they do click on the, the, the bad thing, it's, it's, it's not real. It's fake. So that prompts training. Oh, th this is, this is good stuff. Um, and we'll jump into all of this here in just a second, but I want to go back. You said renewals are jumping 30, 40, 50%. This is what I've heard from, from many of the companies that we work with as well. And that is like literally, you know, overnight, it feels like to them, their, their premiums went up and doubled as you, you know, as you show here or, or talk about here, it just increased. The other thing is they're being asked, you know, in, in order to keep it lower in, in order to keep it from increasing, you know, 50, 60%, they need to do all these things. And this is the one, one of the pieces anyway, that I'm hoping that we can come out of this conversation with is okay. To prepare for the next round, if you will, of increasing insurance, what what should a company do? So we'll we'll get to that one, but uh, but this is the biggest complaint is that they're they're sort of caught flat footed. Uh, cyber insurance costs are going up. They don't know what to do, and they haven't done any of these things that are now being asked about. Um, and and I so I think I think I don't know. I think I'm just rambling on right now, but I'm I'm kind of echoing what you're 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 saying, and, and that's what I've seen as well, is that these companies, um, you know, just find themselves, you know, in a, in a challenging spot. But from what I heard, and I'm taking notes as we go, by the way, to go back over it, there are definitely some things that you can do to uh, adjust or, or, or make your situation a little bit better. Steve, I had actually had a quick question, which would be, you know, Anson says it's 30 to 40% higher what do you see on the ground? I mean, does that correlate directly with the risk and the threat that's going on? Um, does that relate to the payouts or does it relate to the actual, you know, threats? No, I'm not at all surprised that we're seeing the, the costs uh, of the policies go up uh, for a couple of reasons. You go back to like what you talked about, Anson, about how it started with this, you know, first you had a three page, maybe well thought out questionnaire. And then because of competitiveness, it's like, no, we simplify it. We just want these customers, right? The underwriters wanted customers. Um, I, when, when that was happening, uh, probably 10-ish years ago, I remember just looking at that going, yeah, but you know, this doesn't tell you anything about the cybersecurity program that this company has. Uh, you know, are, are they even going to pay? And we asked, they said, so, so what if you, know, you, you answered like, have we had this? Have we had that? You know, very basic questions. In fact, one of the 
one of the companies I remember like having this conscious thought for the first time, he was answering all these questions. I said, but, but those aren't even true. Like I, I'm looking at your program right now and, and I could maybe answer three of those correctly uh, or, or honestly. Uh, and he had answered all 10 and they got a policy. He's, well, will they pay out? So what's happened in the meantime is they have paid out, I think, with a, without a lot of questions, without going back and saying, you know, did you do all these kinds of things? Sort of like, you know, I'm a smoker and, uh, and I got, you know, some sort of insurance, health insurance, whatever, life insurance, and they didn't actually go back and, and vet that. I said no, but I'm actually a smoker and, and died of, you know, uh, let's say cancer. Um, now they're looking at that and they won't pay those claims if, you, if you're not doing those things that you said that you did. Um, but it, it, it does match back to you, Gina, it does match what's going on in the world. So the world has gotten uglier as far as cybersecurity is concerned. We're seeing more stuff going on. And, and in a couple of the other blogs, I've talked about this because of the geopolitical kind of craziness going on in the world. It's sort of a awesome playing field. If you're on the bad guy side, right? Uh, you can bounce around between these countries that will not cooperate on any of the uh, any of the investigation, if you will, that's going on. Um, at the same time, technology and our dependence on it, and it's sort of just infusing our lives and our businesses to no end, that's gotten completely nuts. And then also, if you think about how technology even makes it into the marketplace, uh, it's so rapid, it's so it, it happens so quickly that the providers of that technology often deliver what we call a minimal viable product, meaning the, the, the least I need to make to get it to the marketplace is what I'm going to do. Because otherwise, if I, if I make it like the, the great or even perfect product, then someone else is going to make a competing product and win out in the market space. So one of the things that isn't included typically in an MVP is good security. So you end up with bad products in the marketplace that then eventually get hacked and breached. But no, this reflects very much, I think, what's going on, you know, on the ground. You, you could probably say that, you know, if you lived in Ukraine right now, uh, one of my favorite topics, apparently, uh, life insurance would be probably a pricey thing uh, just because bombs are dropping everywhere. And it's not so different really in cyberspace. But I, I had a question for you, Anson, kind of on that. Uh, what is paying out the most? What, what are insurance companies having to pay for? Is it the ransoms? Yeah, I, I mean, what we've seen is there's there's two big areas of claims, and, and the first one is the extortion or the ransom. You know, people, ransomware extortion. Number one is that line item, and then the second thing is social engineering. Social engineering is where uh, one of my employees gets an uh, email from me. Looks like it's coming from me, and. What, what the bad guys do is they monitor the emails going back and forth. And they know that, you know, we have to pay insurance carrier XYZ, you know, $92,000 on Tuesday. So I will, or the bad guy, will spoof my email and send my assistant because they're monitoring, uh, hey, uh, on this particular account, uh, you know, the carrier has changed banks, use this account over the other. So what the employee does, if they don't call now in our company, we have, you know, policies and procedures, right? But in some companies, the, the employee, the teammate will go ahead and just route the 92, 95, $98,000 to the new account. And so they are basically voluntarily giving away money. And that's the other thing. Some of the cyber insurance policies say, yes, we have social engineering, but it's not going to pay if you voluntarily do it. The really robust programs say, no matter what the situation is, no matter how you lost the money, we're going to pay. So there's nuance man, in, in, in all of that. But the, I think those are the two big ones. And, and, and again, I mean, we could go into all the different types of claims, but I, I, want, the, I want the small business owners out there to know they're not going after Target. They're not going after Sony. They're not going after Anthem. They're coming for you. Yeah. They're not going after the big boys that have the big boys policy. They're really going after the little guys who might not even have cyber insurance. This echoes a lot of what we talk about. And that is that the perpetrators, particularly of ransomware, as well as kind of what you described there, we sometimes refer as business email compromise and wire fraud, but it's social engineering. It's all kind of bundled together. But in the end, 
you end up sending money to the bad guys and they spread it on a few other accounts and then they move it overseas. And, you know, unless you react that same day, it's really hard to, to stop that from going. But what I'm hearing though, is that the, the, where the claims are, are highest, I guess, is really on paying, you know, paying the cost that you've had either with a ransomware or because you wired money to somebody. Um, I'm not hearing that the claims are paid out on data breaches where there's a cost of data breach as much. I'm sure they are, but maybe that's not the, the, the lion's share of it. It's not the lion's share. And that's, that's really where we started, right? The data breach. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it, I think the thieves have realized that the money is in the uh, extortion. Yeah. Uh, data breach is, you know, kind of 1999-ish. That's <laughs> sad. 2022, that's where we're seeing the majority of the claims. And it, 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 and again, I mean, you know, this could put a, to your point, somebody that doesn't think about it or doesn't have a risk manager, they, they're relying on their state farm agent, no disrespect, but ah, yeah, you've got cyber. It might not cover these specific things. So yeah, that goes back to like, you know, key strategies or takeaways here is, is, you kind of have to know what you're protecting yourself against um, or, or what the policy is for, what it's going to pay out on. And then I think, and maybe this is a good pivot point to the other aspect, and that is, okay, so in security, we talk about you have, when, it, when you deal with risk, you have a few choices. You can accept the risk. Uh, and implicitly, many companies are. They aren't really doing anything in cybersecurity. They don't have cyber insurance. So they are accepting the risk. They probably don't think about it that way. They probably don't know or, or you know, have sat down and said, hey, we're going to take the risk that our company is going to go to pieces and be gone you know, tomorrow. But, but they are implicitly accepting the risk. So you can accept the risk. You can mitigate the risk. And this is where your cybersecurity controls come in. You've got a firewall, you've got antivirus, but more importantly, you've got the security awareness, like you talked about. You're doing the phishing, training people so they don't click on the stuff, teaching them, you know, to report it. And then if something happens, you know, here are the actions you can take and so on and so forth. The other thing you can do is transfer it. And that's really what we're talking about today. You're transferring the risk to somebody else. In this case, your underwriter that, that is underwriting that policy. So what we're seeing also is that that agency, if you wish, that's taking on your risk, they're saying, yeah, but you got to do something. We're not going to take that risk. Uh, you know, uh, I like to use the squirrel suit as kind of an example of taking risk. Uh, there are people out there who strap on a squirrel suit. It's got a parachute and it's got kind of the wings and they jump off mountains and they glide down at, at you know, herring speeds, 120, 140 miles an hour, you know, zipping by rocks, shooting between rocks and so on and so forth. That's a level of risk that I'm not willing to take. And most likely most insurance providers uh, would not wanna take that either. So um, now what do we do in that situation? Well, you can maybe decide, well, you know, I do wanna jump, I, I wanna do parachuting, but I'll have to leave the squirrel suit stuff to somebody else and I'm gonna jump out of a plane and I'm gonna get a, cert uh, you know, a certificate or something. Um, and I'm gonna go with a licensed outfit. Now you might get insurance for that, for, for living more of a risky lifestyle. And that balances the same thing that's kind of happening in the cyber world as well, right? So, so while these underwriters will take on the risk, uh, have it transferred to them, they're also saying, but you have to do certain things. The biggest one this past year, I think, has been multi-factor authentication. We've been advocating that for at least 10, 15 years already. But, you know, now it's kind of hitting you with the insurance. Um, what other things are the underwriters really asking about? So, so before we said, do you have policies? Do you do training? You know, yada, yada. Do you have some things in place? But this past year, it seems to have been certain things that sort of kept coming up that, you know, you have to have. What are some of those things, Anson, that, that, as you recall it, they were asking about? Depending on the, the level of exposure and the size of the company, we're actually seeing a lot of cyber carriers start running scans prior to offering a quote. Oh. So, you know, they'll dial in, run a security scan and come back. And before we could even go to market, they're like, oh my gosh, you got these nodes open, you got this. And so the better carriers out there are making a small investment up front, logging in, running, you know, a, a report on their network and then coming back and saying, okay, if you fix these seven issues, then 
we can talk about insuring you. If you can't fix these or it's not, you know, not appropriate or, what, or you're not, you can't spend the money, uh, your cyber carriers will not uh, provide coverage. And that's second step. I mean, first step's obviously an, edu- uh, an application where, you know, what are you using? That's what I was talking about earlier, where you get your tech company involved, or your cybersecurity provider involved. But the next step, again, for larger companies, man, they're, they're doing a scan before we can even talk about, you know, rate. So uh, I want to get back to the other requirements, but it's kind of interesting for probably ah, about 10-ish years, eight, nine years, um, we've had these services out there. One is Security Scorecard. There's a company called Risk IQ, BitSight, but they provide essentially kind of a digital scorecard, digital uh, credit score, if you will, on companies. And they collect a bunch of different data. And occasionally, if you're if you're in the IT side of your, your business, you might have gotten one of these reports from one of the third parties you do work with uh, saying, hey, you know, you got an F for, or you got maybe a B minus, meaning like something was wrong on your end. And this third party has discovered it about you. They never talked to you. They've, they've found this stuff in lots of different resources on the internet, maybe scanned you, and they come with this report. I'm guessing that that the insurance, uh, the underwriters out there are also using this, basically. The carriers are using this to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to have an independent-ish entity look at this company and say, how healthy are you? To me, this is very analogous to going in and having that health check where you might not be a smoker, but maybe you're a little bit overweight. And so now from the, from the carrier's perspective, you're in a different risk class than if you were an athlete and, you know, lean as whatever and, 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 you know, age and all these other factors that would, would go into the risk picture. Right. I mean, that's essentially what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the more healthy you are, the lower your rate is, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the more robust your system is, and I mean, I, I met with a client a couple weeks ago and it was a cyber renewal. I mean, there was some other things going on, but I, the first page on the policy was all their dark web addresses that had been found on the dark web. And so I started talking to my owner, a friend of mine. I was like, Rick, um, who's you know, Bob Johnson. He hasn't been here for three years. Okay. Now who's this, who's that? But typically when you look at those lists, it's the owner that has, they've got breached more on on the dark web. So it's not just a scan, but it's going past that. And I think that's kind of what you were getting to is the dark web is full of, you know, dirty, dirty, dirty data. And if you can run a scan there, and tie it back to a domain. That's where, uh, again, it's it's not the only thing, but it's an indicator of how safe is this place yeah. and how how often are you doing the you know password updates and all that stuff. Yeah, and I bet you that's exactly some of the data that they're looking at is like how often do your domain email addresses show up in breaches? Yep. That ties back to how well you're teaching people, you know, security awareness and how secure was your stuff. And then, yeah, if you've actually been breached, that shows up there as well. That's really interesting. Well, what are some of the other things that your, let's call it a cybersecurity program, maybe you have one, maybe it's not exactly called that, but it's whatever you do to protect yourself against cyber threats. What are some of the other things that you see that the carriers are interested in? Let's say they go beyond that scan. So, hey, I've done the health check and I'm just really talking to you now. What are the things I'm expecting you to be doing you know, so I'll, I'll, the the health analogy to me is is always helpful. So you know, how often do you drink? <laughs> you know, are you drinking three beers a night, or or is it like a once a month kind of a thing? What what other kinds of questions like that might they be be asking you about your cybersecurity posture? You know, besides the things we've talked about, and I mentioned it earlier, but I'll, I'll key in on it, uh, employee training. Yeah, most of the claims that we see tie back to an employee. They are the one, you know, they're getting, you know, 200, 300 email a day for various business things. And again, these guys are pretty sharp. You know, if, if they're monitoring what's going on, they know that sending an attachment, whether it be a PDF, a J, whatever, associated with something that your employees are working on, well, they got to figure out what it is, right? And you, yeah. you see this a lot in, in social media. 
So like in the, in the, um, I know it's Facebook, Instagram, whatever, one of, one of those are, but you'll get messages that says, Hey, this video shows you. Right. Mm, yeah. 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 Oh, I got to click on that. Then they have to say, Hey, I got hacked. Well, you, you didn't do any validation of what this person said. So I think the key to cybersecurity today can be summed up in, in, in two words, and that's employee training. Yeah. If we really put a focus on the employee training aspect uh, of life and, and what that looks like in a, in a company, then many, many, many of your cyber exposures go way down. Then we can talk firewalls. Then we can talk about, you know, dark web, all of those different things. But employee training is the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something there. So you just made me think about something. Does a uh, cyber liability policy cover what you just described, the social media kind of hack? So I, that might be on my phone. How does, how does the coverage extend to a phone? Or maybe it's not so much the phone, it's that you allow your employees to use their phones with your email or something like that. I mean, I could sort of see that that, that could be just a tricky or gray area. Tell me what you know about that. If, if it's, you know, you, you got to think about if it's a company based. So, so in our company, everybody gets an, an iPhone, whatever. Yeah. I don't even know what we are, but if you have a breach through that and it's company owned, it's covered. Yeah. If an employee is using their own device, now we're going to have some questions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as, as an owner of a company, Take care of your people. Give them a phone. If they use it for personal, I don't care. But but it, it's you know if they have their own phone, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the company phone. I, I got a call from a, a good friend of mine about a month ago, and so this young lady uh, had got hacked one way or another, and they hacked not just her system but her uh, T-Mobile phone. They had hacked her phone. And the way they hacked her phone, they actually called the local SWAT team and said there was a hostage situation at her house and they're pretty well to do. If you go to their social media, you can say, all oh, these people are doing pretty well. Yeah. SWAT team shows up at her house. She has to come out, you know, hands up. And it was, it was a very, very, very traumatic experience. So I know we're talking, you know, business to business today. But consumers need to be very, very aware that you are just as vulnerable to a cyber attack as businesses. And, and when she called me and said, what do I do? I said, do you have LifeLock? I go, you need to get LifeLock, number one, because anytime you get penetrated, LifeLock will tell you that. But there's And there's some individual policies out there that people can buy. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, we talk about how this affects not just, you know, the business, but, you know, our, our, our lives and, and everything around it. So I think that's a great point. Thanks for taking us there. So, uh, you know, uh, my mind was immediately wondering, like, what's the motive? What was the purpose with that particular attack? It's, it, it was kind of a multi-step, somewhat sophisticated attack. If the only objective was to embarrass this person or, or create some trauma in their life, you know, I know someone must not, you know, they, they must have it out for that person. But I could certainly see that this is a ploy in another piece. So I mean, like we're getting into sort of movie plot threat scenarios. But when you are hacking someone's phone to SWAT them, right, you've heard of the term swatting, when when you call, you know, phone or SWAT team on somebody, but to hack someone's phone and do it that way, that's just that's one step further, unless Maybe it was just so damn easy that it's a bunch of kids just doing stupid stuff. Well, in that particular case, it was financial driven. So they did get access to financial bank accounts, credit cards. You, you know, and I, I think as you begin to talk about digital wallets and all of this stuff, yeah, comes down to a centralized place. And I'm guilty of that too, right? I use a digital, digital wallet. If they can get into that wallet, then they've got bank, yep. uh, credit cards. And so this particular individual had to call, you know, her bank, every credit card and say, I know I've been breached. Stop. You know what you're doing. I mean, it was, it was brutal. It was the worst I've ever seen actually. That did, that occurred in Colorado. It was a Colorado friend of mine, but I don't think it's limited there. It's all over the world. 
Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm sure it's not. I think what we have seen when it comes to stuff, particularly with mobile and hacking mobile, um, a lot of what you at least hear about and read about is, uh, you know, various, uh, you know, people that are already big in the media. So movie stars and, and other quote unquote famous people. And very often it's, you know, getting compromising pictures and, you know, access to data and, and, and so on and so forth. So it's more, you know, for uh, the publicity or maybe the value of those images when you sell them to the tabloids. But we haven't really seen that much of that kind of activity targeted toward just individual people. But I think it's coming. And I've said so for a very long time, kind of feel like, you know, it's, it's almost as I'm getting to the point of getting vindicated because I've said, you know, when we get good at one thing in cybersecurity, the hackers just move to something else. Uh, the, the, the playing field for the attacker is just huge. The only reason we don't see them in a certain place is they're, it's too easy. You know, it's like it's low hanging fruit. Uh, why would I go climb a pole to get, you know, to a piece of fruit when I can just literally go to this tree and, and they're practically dropping off? And that has been our, you know, business technology space for so long. But I think as attacks get more sophisticated, as they figure out how to monetize other, other ways, as the this, this cyber criminal space gets more competitive, we're going to see attacks and, and things in other places. And I think you're, you're right on the money, man. Uh, we're going to see more attacks on individuals. I get almost one a day, if not two a day, of the text that goes, hi, hello. Have you seen those? Same. Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is a pretext basically for something that's coming and I just delete it. But so many people feel a need to go, hello, who is this? And now you're giving up information, at least saying that you're a live body. Uh, you're potentially uh, getting, you know, brought into a broader attack. Same thing, like you said earlier about, you know, oh, there's a video of you, you know, oh, I'm on the you know social media. I better go click on that, see what the hell I did, you know, uh, instead of wait, slow down here. Why would someone be sending that? But of course, it's always been this way that you create this sense of urgency. You talked about what we call the business email compromise scam of wire fraud, right? So what they often do or used to do was, hey, you need a wire, you know, some customers upset, whatever, immediately, you know, thirty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, and someone. Uh, that had the the ability, maybe not the authority to do so, would wire it. Then it got better. And then they did this, the, the, they came up with a scheme that you suggested. And that is, hey, I'm going to monitor what's going on. I'm going to compromise both sides or, or one side so I can see what's going on. And then I'm going to say, hey, by the way, our bank account information's changed. Nothing else. Everything's all right. You update that information. And then boom, then you send them the invoice, maybe a day before it's really due, but the amount's right on doesn't, you know, throw up any flags, you know, this stuff evolves. It's fascinating when you think about how, how it evolves, but then anyway, so getting back to getting back to this, we're, we're kind of uh, coming to the end here. I, I feel like we just need to have another talk where we dive into kind of the consumer side and say, you know, individuals and so on and so forth. There's so much interesting stuff there really. And, and I think even, you know, you can bring some insights that people uh, might find valuable in terms of how do you protect yourself as an individual? What we spend most of our time on, you know, 99% of our time on is helping businesses think through this. And while I've done kids and parent training in the past around how to think about cyber, how to think about what kids do, um, we don't spend enough time in that area at all. So I think that would be super helpful. Um, but sort of to, to kind of bring us, you know, wrap us around what what should a company out there that has a renewal coming up, let's say in the next six months, nine months, something like that, what should they be doing? What, what would be smart for them to kind of do and prepare for as they, as they come up on that renewal and not wait till, you know, two weeks before? Uh, first thing I would do uh, is hire you. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to bring you on every week. Hire Stig. Um, again, he really knows what he's doing, and that's going to lower your premium if, if you engage Stig. Um, but the other thing I would do is make sure your broker understands cyber. Look, of all the coverages out there, that's one coverage that if you don't have a background or you haven't studied it, it it's, it's a very unique coverage. And so question your broker, your agent, What's your experience with this? Mm -hmm. And if they're honest, say, hey, I, I don't really sell a lot of this. 
find a provider that can really do a deep dive. The other thing I would say is 90 days prior to expiration, because you're going to see an increase, make sure that your broker is going out and at a minimum, man, you need to, you need to get 10. And I don't do this on any other line. But when it comes to cyber and professional and DNO right now, those are the three lines that are volatile. I'm getting, you know, minimum 10 quotes. And then when, when we show, make sure the provider, the agent is showing what the market shows. Uh, I just had this happen yesterday where, you know, we got a renewal for 23 grand. It was up from 18. We got a market. Okay, we had 32, we had 35, and then we had like many, many carriers that wouldn't even offer a quote because of the exposure in certain industry. And so make sure that you're not just getting a renewal and going, hey, this is good and, and markets up or down or whatever, which the market is up. But, but make sure you're, you're seeing the alternative options. And if your broker's not doing that, they're just you know, continually giving you the same thing over and over. That they're not doing their job. You know, part of our job is to go out as an independent insurance firm and shop. Not every year on, on you know, the property casualty, the property liability, if that's stable, which right now is. If I don't have 10 options for my client every, every year, I am not doing my job. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think on that, you just made me think about something. Many of the companies I talk about, they will say, oh, you know, this is the broker we've used for X number of years. There's this tendency to sort of go with whoever's been providing your just, you know, general liability, you know, whatever travel, uh, all these sort of typical business policies. And that's where they naturally go. Um, and, and also, I guess one more question related to that, who should be looking at this? And, and I'll get back to this. So, there are two questions to this or two parts to this. One is um, if someone is, you know, using whatever broker they have for a long time, uh, what should they do if they, if they're not sure they're getting uh, essentially kind of uh, a good understanding of the market or really the help that they need, should they dump that broker entirely? Or do you just get another uh, company that can really help you? with uh with identifying the cyber insurance what do you what do you do there yeah so we get a lot of referrals from other agencies that are not strong in this and so other agencies know that hey this isn't my daily work i want to bring in an expert and you know in our industry there's something called errors and emissions right and and you have it as well where you don't do a great job a claim happens and then there's there's a, there's a claim on errors and emissions so a lot of agencies out there are looking for people that really, really know what they're doing. Number one. Okay. Number two, if you have that relation and we're a relationship company and I respect relationships, if you've got a relationship with a broker and they say, this isn't really my strong suit, it's not, it's not uncommon to get when you find out you have cancer to get the second and third opinion. So bring a broker in that is specialized in whatever we're talking about. Today, we're talking cyber liability. Sometimes, you know, there's all these other lines of coverage, but try to find a provider. And with the way we work anymore, I mean, like I said, we're in 48 states. We can, we can ride all over the country yeah. and partner with a firm that number one is relationship-based, relationship but number two really is keyed in on the specific coverage line that you're looking for. The other thing I see is who deals with insurance in the company. So I'm often coming at it from the technology side. I'm working with uh, the security team, the CISO, uh, and if they don't have that, someone in IT. And when, when we talk about incident response and management, one of the pieces I like to get into is, okay, what's your cyber insurance? Oh, I don't know about that. Like there's a disconnect between the people buying the policy and really the people that would be working, if you will, with a services provider provided, you know, within that policy. So who should be involved? Who, who should be buying this policy or going through the process? That's a great question. Um, so my particular clients, I'm always dealing with the owner or the CFO. Okay. Barely am I dealing with the CTO. And when we get to this particular product, as I said earlier, you got to bring your CTO in if you have a CTO, right? You've got to bring these guys in. 
And when I send out, a, you know, a, a, we call it an NDO application, it's a form fillable, all that stuff. Do your best, but then don't, you know, do not sign off on it. I would even encourage to have their, their managed service, service provider look at it, sign off, and then the CEO, the CFO uh, sign off because um, most of the CEOs and CFOs, they don't understand what they have. No, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so there's got to be a continuity between, you know, ownership, financial, and then, and then technology with the insurance side. So it should be, you know, a three-legged stool. So you bring in this third-party piece, and I think this is another area of grayness. Um, do you know who's responsible for everything? And do you end up in situations where, uh, you know, the company that basically uh, has the policy isn't necessarily responsible uh, for the service, you know, where the breach happened. So if you're using a third-party service provider, they're the ones that get breached, you get affected. Does your policy need to specify that? Kind of like in the, in the, in the you know, uninsured driver if you're, you're on the road, right? So I can insure myself, but what do I do when it's, I can't really control it? Again, you, you, you're, you're good at this. Uh, so there's first party and third party coverages. In the big boy cyber, you'll see in, in the seven you know, key coverages, you're going to see this is first party. This is what we cover for first party. This is what you cover for third party. And so the more sophisticated programs out there do have you know, first and third party coverage, which is exactly what you're talking about. Most, most people in, in my industry, they don't know that. I mean, th- this is this is one of the challenges kind of going back to who should be involved. I see too often is it's this thing that happens over here. Sometimes that questionnaire, you know, sort of floats into the IT organization like, hey, can you answer these questions? But there isn't really that kind of let's get together and figure this out. And, and I think the last part of this, the way I sort of look at it is once you have that coverage in place, one thing, of course, it'll pay out if, if you have a claim and, and that claim isn't disputed and all that good stuff. But there's a piece in the middle. If you have a breach, most of those coverages are going to, most of those policies are going to say, we've got resources to bring to bear during an incident. And, and this is part of, of any company that has cyber liability insurance. This should be part of their incident response process is how to engage that. And this is something that's a, it's a weakness out there, a gap, if you will. They figure that stuff out while they're in the middle of a breach that, oh, and so on and so forth. We've been engaged multiple times where a week, two weeks in, they suddenly now get that third party involved. And then we sort of end up sitting on the sidelines, sometimes for a period of time, sometimes we come back in, or sometimes we're, we're entirely gone when we do instant response. But, uh, but the issue is that they don't know that they have these resources. They haven't prepared for it. They don't know how to engage them. And I think that's another sort of disadvantage when it's the finance guy that goes and gets the policy or it's someone on compliance that goes and gets the policy and they're not involving IT and they don't kind of take this thing through to the end, which is, all right, we've got the coverage now. Now let's connect the last dots. So, yeah, One, one more thing, Sting, going back to the extortion. I always like to say that these have a code. <laughs> so when, when the extortion happens, people are like, well, what if we pay the $100,000 they're going to give it a stub back? And I'm always like, they will. Because the first thief that doesn't do that, it blows the whole scam, number one. Number two, they do not ask for U.S. dollars. It's all Bitcoin. So unless your provider understands Bitcoin and our our solutions, our our carriers, I'm sorry, that's what they do. They they utilize, they have services. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. We do, we we actually just finished writing a ransomware policy for an organization. And and we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of instant response work where we kind of help people build that capability to figure out their processes, uh, kind of touching on the cyber insurance piece. But one of the things we put into the policy was to pay or not to pay. These are things that you should be thinking about ahead. Uh, if your policy is, hey, we never pay a ransom, okay, you better have good defenses and so on and so forth. That's perfectly a justifiable position. But let's say that you don't know that you're not going to pay, you're not comfortable, then be prepared to pay, which means make sure that either your carrier uh, can pay in Bitcoin or you can, because you don't have a lot of time. Uh, some of these are kind of 48-hour deals. Um, others are 
you know, hey, you know, after two weeks, all your stuff is gone. But every day, you know, it's another, you know, 60,000, 100,000 in Bitcoin uh, that it increases, which is usually something like, you know, point uh, whatever, 05 Bitcoin or something like that, that they increase. But there's a, you know, it ramps up. Everything is designed to put a lot of pressure on you to essentially pay. And then, and then the other thing is, okay, so you got the key, you got to unlock all your stuff. Do they now also extort you for the data that they stole? So that's another kind of double whammy with ransomwares these days or these extortion schemes. So, well, uh, I think there are probably at least 10 different other directions that we could take this because uh, this is super interesting stuff. Uh, fascinating, really kind of the everything going on in, in the back of all of this. Like you kind of said, you know, the, the, the ransomware, the, the hostage taker, if you will, it's in their interest that you pay and they, they give your data back or the scheme doesn't work very well, like people stop paying. Uh, on the other hand, you know, uh, if people don't pay or unable to recover and there's no pain with that, then they kind of lose out that way. And it's a whole different, you know, uh, story that we could talk about another time. But um, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Anson, for coming on today and kind of sharing your experience and knowledge with us. Um, I would highly recommend, and I'll let you kind of make the official plug for this here, but one of the things I've seen Anson do and that he's talked about before is kind of coming in and helping you look at your insurance broadly. And I heard you say this early in the podcast, and I meant to come back, then I didn't, but I think it's kind of important. Um, and, and this, you know, outside of cyber liability insurance, I remember listening to this going, ah, that makes a lot of sense. You come in and you look across kind of all the risk exposures and everything that, that the company essentially does and, and whatnot. And then you sort of look at, okay, now what do they have insurance policies for? Many small companies, myself included, you know, we're kind of going out there to some sort of broker and saying, hey, you know, small business, what do I need? And they kind of write you something up and you're like, well, yeah, I guess I can afford that. Boom. But I didn't really map it to my needs. And I think that's what you guys provide a service of, where you kind of go in and you do an assessment and say, here are all the coverages you currently have, here are kind of the exposures you have. And then to bring it back to this conversation, you talked about this might be where you need the most insurance. And maybe you don't have that. You've for years, bigger companies even for years have spent on liability and errors and emissions and all that sort of stuff. And they're spending very little on cyber insurance where maybe that by, you know, probabilities alone is where you'll get hit the hardest and, and have the, the greatest expenses. So, yeah. So a lot of uh, insurance agents say, they come in, let me give you a quote. And we, we've never done that. We don't offer quotes. We don't do that at all. Instead, what we do is what's called a risk management review. And so we meet with a client, you know, if there's a connection there and, and there's not always a connection, right? Sometimes I meet somebody or a team meets somebody like, eh, because of X, probably shouldn't proceed. But if we proceed, then we take a look at what they have and we get down and dirty. You know, people want to give you summaries and deck pages. We get the actual policy forms and we do a deep, deep dive. It's a huge uh, report that we give, but it's not about what you have. We'll talk about that. It's what you don't have. And use a lot of assumptive questions. When your, your agent told you about this coverage, you didn't buy it. What, what was that conversation? Which leads them to say, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, you, you talked about this exposure. No, we didn't. And so it's just more, it's more of a conversation and education. It's how our firm works. And I'm not trying to sell my company at all. It's just, there's, there's a lot of great insurance providers out there. Um, I think we do it very uniquely and it's not a sale. It's, it's an educational informing process where at the end of the, uh, of the process, typically buyers go, you obviously know more than most people. And we get educated more than anybody's ever done. So that's what you, what you want to look for in a broker. You want to look for somebody that's not just going to give you a quote, you know, oh, it's in your budget, $3,200, but say, here's what you have. Okay but here's what you don't have. And then let's focus on those areas. And, and if, as long as you know you don't have X, when you have a claim, you're, you're going to, uh, I don't think I bought that, but so that, that's our approach. It's, it's kind of unique. Yeah, it is. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up, Anson, is I remember, you know, the first time you introduced me to this um, and it felt like very different than what I was used to. The fact that, that you bring this to the table to me is huge because 
uh, kind of like you said, you know, you educate, you, you create awareness. And, and I think somewhere in my notes, I grabbed it, you know, for you guys, it's about a relationship. You're building trust right, right out of the gate when you're able to kind of get into the weeds and talk about what they have and, uh, and everything, uh, you know, in terms of helping them understand what coverage they have. And maybe again, like you said, what's really missing. Uh, it's analogous to a lot of the work that we do, which is kind of going in and saying, yeah, you got a bunch of security products, but are they really protecting you where you need it? Uh, too many times we see people who have all the products under the sun and it's like, yeah, but are they doing the job? You've spent a bunch of money, but you know, does that mean that you're safe? Maybe it doesn't, you know? Well, thank you again, Anson. I appreciate uh, this time. Uh, pleasure to have you on. I think so. Yeah, you'll be like a regular guest on the show, Anson, because we, <laughs> we can go over No, and I, I do have a rule, guys. Uh, no, if I get to the green room and there's uh, brown M&Ms, I trash the, the whole green room. So when I'm on the show and I come I'm in the green room, no brown, it's in my contract. Uh, Gina, you read it. No brown M&Ms. So uh, to everyone out there watching the show, I hope this was a value. Uh, I think there was a ton of information that Anson provided. So if you are involved with or even remotely involved with cyber insurance, you know, uh, feel free to reach out to Anson. Uh, great guy. Uh, you're going to get super good value out of that. And then also, you know, feel free to reach out to us as well and find out what's going on in your organization. Get in there. Hopefully you've got some good tips from this show. And, uh, you know, as always, please share, tell everybody about this. If you've got some value out of it, uh, we don't run any advertising or anything like that. We do give some plugs, but again, plugs where we know there's value. Uh, and, and this comes from the heart. So, uh, thank you so much, uh, for another, uh, Friday, Cyberitaville. We'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>